Welcome to the Physics Teaching Podcast, episode four. My name is Thomas WP. And I'm Robin, um, Robin Griffiths. I'm a former physics teacher, so I feel a bit of a fraud here. But uh, Thomas, you are a, a, a current serving physics teacher. I'm I, I'm a current serving physics teacher, but I'm a bit of a fraud because I only do A-level now and I teach part-time. But you are a, a, a physics teacher, but we, one of the key things we were saying about the podcast is that we want it to be for people who are called on these heroic people who are PE teachers who are biology teachers who are chemistry teachers math teachers who are called on to teach physics and have to step outside their comfort zone uh, to teach this subject that, that is not one that they would immediately identify with so that to, to you people we doff our caps because you people are heroes thank you so much for the work you do I think we like to talk of recent physics Robin and I hope yesterday Halloween you celebrated dark matter day Yes, well, dark matter. I often celebrate dark matter day by um, going out in a in a, in a quite um, unpleasant outfit, knocking on neighbours' doors and demanding sweets or, or sometimes cash. So um, yes, I celebrated dark matter day. I, I celebrated it by stirring tea and the tea going faster than the spoon. There you go. Because that's what dark matter does to the universe. That's the evidence that they have for dark matter is that the fact that isn't it the, the further you go out from the centre of a spiral galaxy, the, the quicker it's going, and that shouldn't be the case. Exactly. Galaxies spinning too fast. I was doing a game on the, from the Canadian Perimeter Institute that was teaching me about that. Oh, the Perimeter Institute. I love those guys. That's another one for the show notes. Yeah, and I was put onto them by a future guest, but not a guest this week. Ah. We're addressing a, an important subject that's close to both our hearts today, aren't we? Yes. Both of us being fathers of daughters. Uh, you win on that count 3-1, of course. <laughs> yeah, 3-1. And both of us with daughters who've done very, very well at GCSE, but not gone on to study physics. That's right, yes. Or, or sciences at all, in, in my daughter's case. I don't know, is, is your daughter doing any science? Or? No, I've, I've maths. They both, the ones who are through, have, have done maths, but not physics, which is obviously a challenge. And I have taught in an all-girls school at one time, and even there, we never had a majority of girls at A-level physics. So it is something that we need to understand better, I think. And you have a colleague, don't you, who we've already talked to, but when we did that interview, we talked to her in more depth about girls into physics, didn't we? So not only a physics teacher, uh, and she talked to us before about balloons and the, the importance of balloons and uh, and how they can be used to demonstrate all sorts of wonderful physics things, but um, one of her, her main roles at the Institute of Physics uh, in the past has been the, uh, the gender balance manager. Uh, she's worked on our, our gender balance projects and um, done some amazing work and made some real, real progress in terms of, of understanding why so few girls end up doing physics. Okay, so let's let her introduce herself. Ooh. My name is Jessica Rosen. I currently work for the Institute of Physics and I work with physics teachers and science teachers who are teaching physics. So before I did this current role, I was working on the IOP's gender balance projects, which were looking at all the different reasons why girls tend to opt out of physics as, as soon as they can. I mean, there are some of them that sort of uh, continue on, around 22% of all A-level students are female, but kind of we would like to we would like to see more essentially, wouldn't we? And then before that, I taught science in Southeast London, and before that, I was an engineer. So that is that is my life in a potted history. So we met at Institute of Physics when you were running the Gender Balance Project there, and, and just to sort of play devil's advocate a bit, can my first question be? 
We've been hammering away at this issue for 30, 40, perhaps even longer, 30, 40 years, perhaps even longer than that. Why is it still an issue and what have we learned? Where are we now? Oh, that is a good question. So, yes, I think a lot of the kind of initial response to the issue was to think of the problem as being a problem with girls or a problem with physics. So there's a lot of sort of knee-jerk reactions to, to it without like looking at the actual reasons why girls aren't taking physics. I think what has happened sort of over the last sort of 10 years is actually there's been a very much more evidence kind of based line of inquiry into why girls aren't taking physics and I think we're getting a much better idea of why that is and so we're better placed to put in sort of interventions that actually affects start to affect the choices that um, students are making sort of post-16 so you know we just want students to be making the right choices for them and um you know, if kids don't want to do physics, that's fine. But we just want to make sure that everyone's got equal access to being able to take physics and aren't being swayed by any other factors. So you mentioned that the evidence has got us to a point where we understand a little bit why girls don't do physics. What are some of those reasons? OK, so I think a big factor is having sort of a, a good physics teacher. And that is an issue at the moment. We are in, in our country, we're very chronically short of physics teachers. Girls in particular value having a good relationship with their physics teacher, being taught well and being encouraged to, to progress with that. So uh, so the secondary sort of reason is around kind of stereotypes and unconscious bias, the fact that kind of we live in a society which very much kind of sees some things as being more masculine in pursuit, more things as being sort of more more feminine. So people may kind of have sort of certain expectations of, oh, well, girls, you know, they, they won't be interested in that. They won't like that. They may suggest kind of different toys, different activities, different professions for girls to go into than, than boys, where in fact kind of actually there is, there's more difference within groups of girls and within groups of boys than there are sort of between sort of girls and boys. So we put sort of young people in boxes and, and we need to stop doing that essentially. What happens is kind of all these kind of assumptions and expectations that we make of people based on their gender then kind of internalise how they feel about themselves and kind of can sway how they feel about subjects and influence those choices. So things there's, there's a lot tied into what I was just trying to explain there, but there's a lot sort of around sort of peer pressure, parental expectations, societal expectations, and what society is kind of telling these people what, what they should be. Generally, sort of research shows that girls are less confident in areas of maths and physics than, than boys are. Again, this is likely to be down to these kind of stereotypes kind of being perpetuated by the media and elsewhere. So when you have a subject like physics and everyone says, oh, physics is hard, physics is hard, girls may tend to sort of also opt out if they're not feeling confident. That, you know, And let's bear in mind that they are uh, equally capable as boys at GCSE level, girls and boys kind of achieve equally so they're both doing so equally well and I'd say kind of the other big factor is careers advice kind of if students can see that physics is worthwhile and leads into kind of a career that they can see being something that they want to do and something that they'll sort of gain from in the future they'll be more likely to go on and do physics but we know that careers advice is very much limited in schools it's kind of you know schools do what they can with resources available but it's it's very difficult for young people to get sort of 
good set of decent careers advice that's been spread throughout their whole school career. Yeah, absolutely. That sort of careers advice thing, it's, it's just it's, it's a hugely specialist topic, isn't it? And it, it needs specially trained people to do it. And of course, those people aren't necessarily in schools. So, yeah. So our wonderful listener is on their way to school this morning, listening to the podcast in their car, perhaps. What can they, And I guess they're saying to the, to, to the podcast, they're screaming at us, what can I do? What can I do in my classroom <laughs> today uh, to, to make a difference? How can I challenge those subconscious biases? Excellent stuff. That's a really good question. Thank you, Robin. Yeah, and that's quite interesting. I think sort of in terms of inclusive teaching, it's not about sort of big actions necessarily, but lots of very small changes that you can make and then probably a lot of things that you are already doing anyway. T- uh, taking on that last point that we were talking about in terms of careers, let's look at sort of that in a little bit more detail. So, uh, for example, talking um, about context when you're talking about physics concepts, I think is really important. So if uh, students can kind of see how uh, physics relates to everyday life, I think that really helps them switch on and kind of can engage a lot of students. And talking about contexts can then lead quite easily onto sort of careers as well. So once you've got the context, then you can then follow and progress that idea into careers. For example, you know, if you talk about x-ray, talk about hospitals, then you can talk about some of all the opportunities that are available in medical physics. A lot of students want to be doctors, but they don't realise about all those other professions that are related uh, and that are out there. So in terms of careers and getting them thinking about careers in your lessons, I think having, because I know I, I totally understand teacher and there's so much pressure to deliver so much content during that lesson. There's little opportunity for going on tasks, but I think things like homeworks or starters can just provide a little sort of gateway into getting students thinking about slightly bigger pictures. So, for example, a nice little starter that asks them, for example, with a picture of an x-ray machine on topic of a teaching about x-rays, you know, who, who saves the most lives, a doctor or the, uh, the x-ray technician or the person that developed the x-ray, that can really kind of start, you know, make the point quite nicely about kind of actually you know, the, there are other professions that help people uh, as well as doctoring, I think. Or a big question, for example, that could be set as homework is something around, uh, you know, what is the one thing that you could do to benefit humanity? I think that's a nice opportunity to let them be creative and think about what they might want to invent or develop. And then kind of you can start talking about kind of how science could kind of, you know, help that actually become reality, I think, which is quite nice. And then the third thing I'd say is displays you know don't underestimate sort of the power of a display with lots of information about careers about it students i am sure adore your lessons but occasionally their attention might sort of get distracted looking at a display so you might as well have something beautiful there which talks about sort of the opportunities that that present themselves kind of in a physics related careers or careers that are available having studied having studied physics I could go on for hours, Robin, but I'm sure that we've all got things to do tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jessica. That's fantastic. And I love the, the x-ray starter, that idea that, you know, medicine and these things, we tend to focus on the individual and it's a team effort. Everything is a team effort. Engineering, mm-hmm. physics, medicine, all of it. Uh, so that's wonderful. Thank you. I remember... Back when I started at the IOP, there'd been some sort of dreadful misogynist slander somewhere, and I was feeling a bit depressed about it. And I remember you sort of patting me on the shoulder and said, don't, don't worry about it. These things, nobody's going to be 
have their, their opinions changed overnight. Nobody's going to become uh, a sort of a, a perfectly gender-balanced, unconscious bias-free individual straight away. It, it's not the way it works. It's going to take time. It'll probably never happen. We just have to keep working towards it. People say, so people say, well, you know, uh, women don't have uh, role models in science. And I know uh, that, that there are plenty of women working in science and doing a fantastic job. And interestingly, this week, when the Nobel Prize was awarded, Donna Strickland, who won the Nobel Prize along with uh, two other gentlemen uh, this week, uh, she didn't have a Wikipedia page. This is a Nobel Prize winning physicist. This is the first woman to win a Nobel Prize for 55 years in physics. And she didn't have a Wikipedia entry until about half an hour after the award was uh, announced. That's staggering, isn't it? It is, it is. Um, so I know that there have been people, for example, the, the marvellous Jess Wade, who has been working hard and motivating lots of people to get involved in um, in basically changing this and kind of getting more sort of a female scientists up on Wikipedia because, you know, what has happened is basically these stories are out there, kind of, you know, these there's, there's a lot of stories that are basically hidden, sort of, um, you know, that haven't been told to the same extent that kind of, you know, sort of the stories about male physicists have been, to, have been told. So I, th I think kind of the drive to get more of these stories about these incredible sort of uh, physicists out there, I think it, it is, is really wonderful. So, but yeah, no, totally shocking that she hadn't got a Wikipedia page kind of, uh, you know, until a few hours afterwards. <laughs> yeah. And th these female rumbles, they are there. They're out there. They're, they're doing science and they're working hard in science and they're achieving amazing things, including Nobel Prizes. But uh, uh, when people say, oh, there's no role models for girls in, in sciences, of course there are. They're there, but they're just not as in the public eye, perhaps, as, as, as men seem to be. Indeed, indeed. I, about, I, feel, I, feel, I feel in my waters it's a change in Robin. I feel it's changing. The um, times they are changing. Now, I, I think we could do a couple of rounds of Bob Dylan, but I can hear WP in the background giving us um, the, the, the clock. He's probably sitting there tapping his watch and telling us. So I think we, uh, <laughs> we need to wrap it up there. So I will just say, uh, Jessica Rosen, uh, thank you so much for giving up your Sunday evening and talking to us and uh, just filling us full of inspiration and, and making sure that our classrooms are inclusive. <laughs> um, thank you very much uh, both of you been an absolute pleasure to talk to you yeah it's interesting how they started there with the it's a problem with girls and it's a problem with physics but then in a sciencey way looked at evidence I was very very pleased they actually looked into it and found evidence for why girls aren't interested in physics and it sounds really fatuous to say it, but, but bizarrely, you know, people have been groping around in the dark and, and then somebody kind of suggests, well, why, why don't we try and actually get some evidence for what is going on? And that actually produced the traction. So people were happily exploring their biases. Oh, you know, let's let's make physics textbooks pink. And, oh, let's talk about things that girls like to, to talk about. And all this sort of thing. It's just reinforcing the same old biases, which is never going to to have any traction so it, it was good that the evidence uh, came up with something useful and, and this idea of unconscious bias whole school equality those are the ways to go it's a challenge isn't it because i hadn't really thought about this that i i feel i'm pretty good we both did a an unconscious bias test before this podcast and i scored you have zero unconscious bias so i think i'm pretty good and then you forget that when they go home all the kids are being influenced massively by their parents so and society pressure, societal pressure. I mean, my my daughter said just physics. I just don't like physics. And she got a solid nine. 
Well, I think the thing is, it's, it's within the schools as well. You know, they go to another classroom and perhaps there's a teacher that they really like and perhaps that teacher is female and she says something along the lines of, oh, you know, when I was at school, oh, we, I hated physics and it was just terrible. And I, I, I much preferred history. And immediately they've got a, a, a figure that they relate to saying that history is, is great and that physics is horrible. Uh, and then they might go to a physics classroom and it might be a grumpy old man like me. Uh, they say well you know uh, I, I, I and so all these things just build those biases and build those, those stereotypes and stop girls from thinking that, that physics is something that belongs to them and this is one of the things I, I, I think I love about science is that it's egalitarian it belongs to everyone what is science science is a way that we build up knowledge it's the way that we, we work out truths about the world around us how can you possibly say that that is gender biased or it's only for girls or for boys? It's a nonsense. It's an absolute nonsense. Yeah, you've said that to me before. This, it's all it is is finding out more about the world and why should that be dominated by men? It's just so frustrating. Mm. I liked what she said. There's more variation within the group than there is between the groups. You have a little way of showing that, don't you? Yeah, when I went to an unconscious bias event, the, the trainer there did a great thing. He got all of the, the, the male and female participants in, in the, uh, the conference to line up against opposite walls in height order. Males on one wall, females on the other wall. Males on one wall, females on the other. And then he, he got, I think he, he, he got one side to shuffle along until the median uh, female and the median male were opposite each other. Uh, so everybody was kind of paired off, but obviously there were some overlaps uh, at either end. And what he found was uh, in the group, there were three or four people overlapping on one side. So so there were three or four uh, women who, who were shorter than the shortest man. There were three or four men who were, were taller than the tallest woman. But by and large, the variation within the group was way, way greater than the variation between the groups. So the, the, the number of people in the overlap zone was, was way, way in excess of any people who, who ended up as outliers. And so whilst you can say that on average women are shorter than men, what you can't say is that every woman is shorter than every man. And you can't make generalizations about these things just because there's a slight bias one way or the other, no matter how visible that bias is. That's how we ended up with racism in the past, because people could clearly identify an ethnic group and they, they made generalizations based on that. It's what our minds do. It's what our minds do when they build up this unconscious bias. So, I mean, we're up against societal bias, subconscious bias, our own subconscious bias, and she gave she had three ways of addressing it. I don't think she particularly she explicitly mentioned them, but I think we can say the context, you know, putting the teaching in context, careers, linking the subject to careers, and also displays that I, I would imagine address both those issues for when the children are board in the lesson which obviously never happened in your lessons Robin oh no that would never happen in my lesson no absolutely I, I mean I was going to ask you actually what you thought about that did did, did that chime with you did you think that was a, not the, the boarding in lessons thing that but the the three things that the context the careers well obviously my lessons never happens how did it chime with those three those three things I think I need to be more knowledgeable about careers that where physics can take you I've always I've always tried to teach in context I'm pretty blunt when I teach you. I'll show a picture of an engineer and it'll be a woman. It's not very imaginative. You really liked the the x-ray one, the, the thinking about context of the workplace. And I th was sitting there thinking, oh, I, I've got no no examples of that. And then, of course, 
If you take the time to think about it, I just thought, who builds a bridge? Who builds a bridge? Is it the people who campaign because they need a bridge? Is it the politician who finds the money? Is it the architect who designs it? Is it the engineer who builds it? Or is it the workman at the bottom of the pile who lays the bricks? Or is it the person who sells the cement? So I imagine anything, if you just take a little bit of time to think about it, anything, you can come up with an example that's valid and, and applies context. And displays, yeah, I've always, I've always been quite good at displays. As a fairly itinerant part-timer recently, I've never had a lab. Uh, but this year, this year I do have a lab and I've been a bit remiss. So, Lots of things you can do, female role models in science, there's loads of them. Uh, and and the, one of the, the, the troubles with the, the, the role model argument is that people say, oh, there's no female role models in science. They are there, but they're not just, they're not publicizing themselves as much as perhaps their male colleagues do. So please try and get some prominent female scientists up on your walls and talk about them. The example I often use is Henrietta Leavitt, who's a fairly tragic figure because she made the discovery that allowed us to show the gigantic possible size of the universe. And when Nobel mm. came to look and, oh, she looks nailed on for the Nobel Prize, she died 18 months before. And that's how unknown she was. Mm. Well, I think that, that, that you can see countless cases of people who are passed over when, when their work was absolutely seminal and, and, and contributed to great uh, uh, scientific discoveries. And Rosalind Franklin, perhaps, is the most famous, who, who I, I always remind people was actually a physicist, and she discovered the structure of DNA. <laughs> when I talk about her, I always talk about something I read, that she was cavalier with the beam, and she used to stand in the way of the beam. Love that phrase, cavalier with the beam. Cavalier with the beam, yes, and, and indeed, unfortunately, paid the price for it because she died quite young, and at which point the Nobel Prize was promptly awarded to all the men in the project, and uh, she yeah. was forgotten. Uh, but uh, she's not been forgotten because her, her memory is very much kept alive. And this week, the Institute of Physics moved into their new building, and it was rather wonderful to see that photo 51, the famous photo that, that showed the, um, the, the structure of DNA as being a double helix, uh, is actually replicated on the wall of one of our meeting rooms. Lovely. And uh, I, I had a wonderful moment when everybody was sitting there going, what's that one supposed to be then? Is is it like a uh, an atom or something? <laughs> I said, no, that'll be photo 51 from Rosalind Franklin's work on structured DNA, which, of course, won me huge numbers of friends at the Institute because <laughs> they, they love and know it all there, I tell you. <laughs> and, of course, they don't listen to this podcast, so you're absolutely fine. So let's bring this to an end. Yeah. Uh, we should we should draw yes. a line under it. And we haven't mentioned at all the ways of contacting us. And we have had another email flood in. So that's for a future podcast. I Ooh. think that one came through the contact form on the website, thephysicsteachingpodcast.com. But you can always email us directly, contact at physicsteachingpodcast.com. You can tweet. That's your, your social media. That's more you. You better talk about the social media. Yeah, it's at PhysicsTP um, and uh, on our Twitter account, and uh, you can go on there and join the debate. And of course, we're on Facebook as well. We have a Facebook page, the Physics Teaching Podcast. Please do join in the debate there. And if you're thinking and you're 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 listening to us and you're thinking, oh, it'd be really good if we talked about that, or please, you know, anything that you want to talk about, anything that you want to give light to, a wonderful practical that you do would be particularly welcome. But we were talking about gender imbalance today. If you've got good ideas, things that have worked for you, things that, that make that work, please, please, please do get in touch. And if you like it, tell your friends. Let's see if we can reach out at the bottom of the exponential. You have been listening to the Physics Teaching Podcast with Robin and Thomas. We would love to hear from you. You can contact us through our website, physicsteachingpodcast.com, on Twitter with at physicstp, email through contact at physicsteachingpodcast.com, or on our Facebook page. 
It's also possible to send us a voice memo using WhatsApp or Telegram. The number for this is on our Twitter bio. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Have you got your T-shirt yet? We're moving off the bottom of the exponential.